This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, November 29th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, County updates emergency planning, G is for government previews town council, Mountain Club seeks trail planning input, and a mountain weather forecast. With pandemics and wildfires a new normal, emergency planning is all the more important. In an effort to be more in line with the federal community preparedness goals, San Miguel County is updating its emergency operations plan. Jennifer Dinsmore is the emergency management coordinator for the sheriff's office. She spoke to the Board of County Commissioners about the updates last week. Our previous plan had not been uh, updated since March of 2014. That's the last adoption. We've had a pandemic since then. We've had all sorts of things going on. So a lot of the updates are just required procedures that we do anyway that weren't captured in the plan. That includes resource mobilization and use of the National Incident Management System. The update also more formally captures emergency operations center roles. We found in COVID that we fulfilled these roles, but it wasn't captured We'd had it written down. We lived a real-life experience, and so I've captured the EOC roles, the Emergency Operations Center roles, to be very generic. So everyone knows what their role is in that position. There were also some missing sections, Dinsmore says, she added in, such as schools. have to capture their role in evacuation and transportation and shelter and such. Dinsmore plans to add further updates next year and from then on update the plan every two years. The plan will be reviewed annually and minor changes may be made, but it does now. The CPG guidance is it has to be updated every two years. The CPG guidance is the federal goals the county is trying to get more in line with. County Commissioners Lance Waring and Chris Holstrom approved of the changes. County Commissioner Hillary Cooper was not at last week's meeting. Waring and Holstrom also approved allowing the county to spend up to a quarter million dollars in emergency response if there are responses needed before the county can make an official disaster declaration. If that's needed, it would be money the county would be unlikely to get back. Here's Commissioner Holstrom using the example of fighting a fire with an air tanker drop, which runs at about $60,000 per drop. We're likely to have the disaster declaration in place ASAP, Um, but I think it would not be good if the fourth drop could have saved something and we didn't didn't have the authorization to do that. With the new emergency manager starting full-time in January, the county also plans to help the local towns update their emergency operations plans so that if and when the time comes, the region can be prepared. Tuesday's Telluride Town Council meeting will be the first since the November election, with new town council members slated to be sworn in and more conversations about short-term rentals and affordable housing on the agenda, it's shaping up to be a busy one. KOTO spoke with town council member Geneva Shawnette about what to expect. Have a listen. Geneva, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me, and um, happy, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. 
a most wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you guys did too. Tomorrow, though, is a pretty busy day for you all, starting at 10 a.m. Some formalities, but also some pretty important stuff. Can you tell our listeners what it is that you all are doing for the first chunk of the meeting tomorrow? Yeah, so um, as everyone, or as most people probably know, we just had an election and elected um, some new council people. We have uh, two new people, Dan and Mian, and then myself and Jesse Ray got reelected. And we will be getting sworn in first thing in the morning at 10 a.m. And then after that, we kind of go through all our beginning of a term slash beginning of the year processes where we're going to be adopting um, the way that we conduct meetings. Uh, we're going to decide whether people can continue to vote remotely, perhaps putting a cap on that with our hybrid meetings that we're going to be moving forward with here. Um, we're going to elect the mayor pro tem. We're going to talk about the calendar for the upcoming year, as well as appoint council people to all the different boards and commissions. It's really just a meeting about meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you will get what I'm sure is a much needed lunch break. And then after that, in the afternoon, you have a pretty hefty number of action items. Can you go over that list and some of the highlights? So at one fifteen, our first action item is we're going to be hearing an appeal, which we don't hear very many of um, at the town council level. Basically, a uh, land developer is disputing um, the planning director's interpretation of an ordinance that we have and some zoning that we have in town, so we will be um, reevaluating uh, that decision. After that, we are going to be discussing, you guessed it, short-term rentals. We had been discussing some updated regulations that were unrelated to the ballot questions about capping or limiting short-term rental licenses issued, and instead we're focusing more on potentially capping the number of short-term rental licenses an individual can personally own as an investment property, as well as increasing uh, penalties for violating our town's short-term rental regulations. And so we'll be hearing from the town attorney about what other communities are doing in these two categories. After that, we are going to be discussing some potential new zoning changes that would hopefully incentivize uh, the construction of more affordable housing and employee dwelling units in the commercial and the historic commercial zones. So might get a little bit technical, but basically our zoning allows for a certain floor area ratio to be developed on a piece of land. So if you have an acre of land and you build a two-story building, you can go up to, I believe, a two-to-one ratio. So you could do two floors. And what this is going to do is basically increase that total amount of floor area ratio that you could build if you are building employee or community affordable housing units. We're going to talk about wastewater rates for next year. And after that, it's kind of basically doing the approval stuff that we as council have to do for the election results. And that's pretty much the end of a lot of the stuff from Tuesday's meeting. But then you all are going to be meeting again for a special meeting on Wednesday in the afternoon at 3.30. Can you talk a bit about what's going to be covered there? Yeah, so um, we as a town are in the market for hiring a new town manager. So we are going to be discussing what our goals are for recruitment, um, any changes or desires that we may have for the job description and sort of, you know, get on the same page with the recruiters about what we're what we're really looking for as a town. So um, I think that will be an interesting meeting to tune into. Um, it starts at 3.30. 
and people can tune into that by Zoom. Well, Geneva, thanks so much for taking some time to chat about Tuesday and Wednesday's town council meetings. Looking forward to seeing your face on the Zoom screen later this week. (laughs) Thanks so much, Matt. Judd Weeby, Wasatch, Bear Creek, Bridal Vale, and all the well-hidden secrets. What would the Telluride area be without its trails? Well, now, anyone interested in the future of trails in the region over the next several years has a chance to voice their views through the Telluride Mountain Club's Regional Trails Survey. We really need people to fill it out because we really want the community's input on where they see trails going in the future here. That's TMC Director Heidi Lauterbach. The club did a similar survey back in 2015. The new Bridal Veil Trail, she notes, is one of the outcomes of that survey. But since then, Lauterbach says, times are different. People's visions have changed. You know, our tourism has changed a lot. It feels like people are coming and utilizing these public resources. And so it it was just time to check back in with everybody. 2015 was a long time ago. Anyone can fill out the survey, which has a little more than 30 questions. And it takes most people 10 minutes to fill out, a little bit longer if you're really thorough with some of your answers. Some are basic. What's your email address? How often do you use local trails? Others are deeper, like whether the region should even have new trails. Tor Anderson is on the board of the Mountain Club. Do we want new trails? Do, we, do people feel that new trails will bring more tourists or will help spread out Our current tourists and a well-designed trail system may spread out, you know, our future tourists. There's also questions about specific proposals. The Forest Service is kind of considering proposing a reroute of part of the Judd Weeby Trail to make it safer and uh, better sight lines and less steep and not require as much maintenance. So we're asking questions like that. You know, a lot of people in this town are very attached to how things are. And that's great. We have some beautiful things. But uh, maybe we should consider how to make things a little better, especially if it means more sustainable. The Mountain Club isn't a government entity, so Lauterbach says a unique role they can play is helping coordinate with different landowners in the region when it comes to planting trails. We have the town of Telluride, the town of Mountain Village, San Miguel County, the United States Forest Service, and private landowners. And because the Telluride Mountain Club doesn't actually own any land, we're in a good position to be able to bring all those players together and talk about how we can help, how we can facilitate planning, where we can help provide funding to actually get projects off the ground. Anderson says the Mountain Club wants to be guided by the community as it helps in that planning. The survey is part of that. We can't say the Mountain Club speaks for the entire community, but we like to think with as many results Uh, from the surveys we get, that's at least how many people we're speaking for. More information on the Telluride Mountain Club's regional trail survey is available at telluridemountainclub.org. The deadline to fill it out is the end of the year. One of the biggest anxieties of switching from a gas-powered to electric vehicle is how often charging will be available. Well, now people on the east end of San Miguel County have one more option to buzz up their batteries with a new Tesla supercharge station on level 3 of the Gondola parking garage. The eight supercharge posts can provide vehicles with 200 miles of range in 15 minutes. 
The town of Mountain Village began working with Tesla on the project back in 2017. Construction began this past June. The station was originally slated to open by Labor Day, but supply chain issues set things back. Only Teslas can use the new chargers, but in a press release, Mountain Village says it has plans to expand charging options to all EV brands in the coming year, with new charging stations being developed in the Heritage Parking Garage and Meadows Parking Lot. Looking for a new pick-me-up to add to your morning routine? This Wednesday, the Wilkinson Public Library is offering its first class in a series on acupressure. Instructor and licensed acupuncturist Diane Atkinson will teach participants how to apply acupressure and self-massage to get the blood flowing and wake up. The class will go from head to toes and leave you with a 20-minute routine that can be done anywhere, anytime. The course meets on Zoom and will be offered weekly through Wednesday, December 15th. More information on the Acupressure for Alertness class, including the link to join the Zoom, is available at TellYourIdeLibrary.org. He's one of the hottest names in music, and this weekend, he's rocking out on Telluride's own Sheridan Opera House stage. Yes, that's right, the one and only Conrad Birdie is taking the mic for the Young People's Theatre production of Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, one last kiss, oh, give me one last kiss, it never felt like this, no. The tale of love, music, and showbiz takes audiences to 1950s small-town America. Teen heartthrob Conrad Birdie has just been drafted and decides to give one lucky fan a last kiss on national TV. Proof of a COVID vaccination or a negative COVID test taken within 72 hours is required for anyone ages 12 and over. Shows of Bye Bye Birdie run nightly at the Sheridan Opera House from Friday, December 3rd, through Sunday, December 5th at 6 p.m. For a lot of people in and around Telluride, one of the top issues on their minds is housing. And it's not just an issue for San Miguel County. KOTO has partnered with multiple stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at economic mobility through housing to understand how the challenges and possible solutions are playing out across the region. Today, we're heading northeast to Boulder. Chronically homeless people make up about 20% of the unhoused population. Many approaches to homelessness restrict access to services based on certain so-called self-improvement criteria. But some service providers are attempting to shift the narrative with a different approach, by offering housing first. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon reports. All right, here we go. Robert Myers is 53 and showing me around his apartment in North Boulder. His name has been changed to respect his privacy. Pretty nice little, little get-up, so. He lives in a 31-unit housing-first community called Lee Hill. The city rents all the units to people who have been chronically homeless. So that's a lot of my books that I've read. Before moving into this apartment, Robert had been homeless for about six years, living in and out of shelters. 
The Lee Hill community was Boulder's first experiment with a housing-first approach to homelessness, which prioritizes getting people housed over sobriety or workforce programs. Michael Block, the chief housing officer for Boulder Shelter for the Homeless, says the problem with pathologizing homelessness is it doesn't help people get off the street and it leaves the most vulnerable people without support. The problem is when we were making criteria like you have to be sober, we weren't inspiring sobriety. We were filtering people. According to Block, a housing first approach says the best response to homelessness is getting people housed. I know that every homeless person I see can't afford the rent. That's what I know. And that's all I need to know, because if I can make the rent affordable for them, I can end their homelessness. The Housing First approach has proliferated in recent years. The Office of Veterans Affairs began using it about 10 years ago. Homelessness among veterans has since dropped by half. In 2016, Denver created a Housing First program called the Supportive Housing Initiative Bond, or SIB. It housed 300 chronically homeless people living in Denver. Kathy Alderman of the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless says they convinced Denver officials with an economic argument. We would make proposals to say, look, we can house individuals for around $20,000 a year. And if we leave them to use emergency rooms, the jail system, detoxes and shelters, it's going to cost upward of $40,000 a year per person. SIB ended up saving Denver millions of dollars and 99% of the people they housed remain in the program. But getting people on board with Housing First means changing the narrative around homelessness, says Lyndall Ellingson, a resident coordinator for Boulder Housing Partners. I mean, I would say that a lot of homelessness has a lot more to do with luck than with choice. And it turns out that when people aren't living on the streets, getting exposed to more trauma every day, they can make big shifts in their lives. And as a community, you can save money. The next big challenge for Housing First is getting it funded at a national level, says Block. He cites a recent survey that found 83% of people who are homeless in Boulder became homeless somewhere else first. Homelessness is not being addressed nationally. And so it exists in these pockets. And Boulder is a pocket where it exists. The causes are all national and the politics, the impact is all local. So yeah, they do some solution stuff, but they also are in management mode. Even so, since Boulder switched to a housing first approach, it's made a huge difference. Hundreds are housed and supported. And I mean, I think that our community needs to be unbelievably proud of that. Back at Lee Hill, Robert says since he moved in, his health has stabilized, although he still struggles with a tremor which came on aggressively when he was homeless. One of the biggest emotions I've had over the years is a lot of anger at people because they don't get what it's like to go through a period where you just don't have anywhere to go. They don't get that they have a bed to go home to at night. Like for homeless people, it's not like that. Robert says when he first moved into Lee Hill, there was a lot of tension about whether or not housing homeless people was a good idea. But recently that shifted. I think we've just fallen on such a hard economic times that everyone's being squeezed now. And it's like it might go a longer way to all of us being compassionate to each other. In Boulder and Denver, Housing First programs continue to grow. Their success has pushed the topic of homelessness to the top of the agenda for local and state lawmakers. Still, when it comes to getting everyone who is chronically homeless off the streets, 
Boulder, Denver, and the rest of the U.S. have a long way to go. For KGNU and Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, I'm Alexis Kenyon in Boulder. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-20s. Tuesday, expect sunny skies with a high near 50 degrees. Tuesday night should be mostly clear with a low around 30 degrees. Wednesday calls for sunny skies with a high around 50 degrees. Wednesday night, expect clear skies with a low around freezing. This has been the news for Monday, November 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.